0: Well, this is going to be a fun show tonight, even more so than last week when I went on my tirade about the Trent Richardson trade. Hello again, everyone, and good evening. I am Dave Mitchell. Welcome to the Ultimate Sports Talk show here at UltimateSportsTalk.com from the very palatial and prestigious UltimateSportsTalk.com radio studios. Glad to have you along this evening. Well, I'll tell you what, we've got a lot going on in tonight's show San Francisco is in St. Louis for the NFL weekend opener tonight on the NFL Network. The Cleveland Indians are still in the wild card chase, and we are entering the final weekend of the regular season. We're going to headline tonight's show with all that. Jeannie Bus speaks out. And a new segment tonight, the good, the bad, and the ugly. All that happening on tonight's show, and you can join us simply by emailing us or sending us a tweet. You can email us at dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can send us a tweet. My Twitter address is at host. Well, the Major League Baseball season, as I said, is winding down. It's getting into the last weekend of the season, and the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds, along with the Tampa Bay Rays, the Texas Rangers, the Pittsburgh Pirates, all fighting for a wild card playoff berth. Let's take a look at the American League and what's going to happen this weekend. First of all, the Boston Red Sox, Detroit Tigers, and Oakland Athletics have already won their respective divisions. If the season were to end tonight, Tampa Bay and Cleveland would be in the playoffs. Right now, Tampa Bay is one game ahead of the Indians, and those two teams would square off on Tuesday in a wild card playoff game. Now, Tampa Bay at 89 and 69, they've won eight of their last ten ball games and six in a row. Same, identical as the Cleveland Indians over the last ten. But here's what's going on: Tampa Bay is going to finish up their season in New York with a four game set against the Yankees. Matter of fact, that is scheduled to begin just about two minutes from now. The Cleveland Indians are in Minnesota to face the Twins. Now that will begin just about an hour from now. That's a four-game set over the weekend also. Joe Madden of the Tampa Bay Rays thinks his ball club is playing great baseball right now, and he hopes it continues.
1: The guys have really stepped up at this particular time. Uh, the runs the last couple of nights have been great to get those kind of that kind of run support. Uh, of course, the pitching has been good uh, for a while. Um, missing a lot of key ingredients also, Um, you know, Escobar being out, having to put uh, Zoe at shortstop, um, doing something different in the outfield, uh, having Dome and DH. It was kind of nice, again, uh, getting everybody involved in the victory, I think is is good uh, for uh, team morale, and uh, it's
2: keeping everybody fresh at the same time.
0: In the meantime, the Cleveland Indians continue to win. As I said, they've won eight of their last ten also, six in a row. They are a game in front of the Texas Rangers, the Indians are 88-70, and 70, and the Texas Rangers are 87-71. and 71. Now, the Rangers have a four-game set scheduled to begin tonight in Los Angeles against the Angels. The Indians keep winning, and it's mainly because of their late inning heroics continued on Tuesday night against the White Sox by 42-year-old Jason Giambi. Here's Tom Hamilton with the call.
3: Down the set by Reed, the 1-1 pitch,
4: a swing and a drive, to deep right, Away back, no! Jason G. Abbey has done it for the second time off the White Sox, a walk off, In Cleveland, oh what a mob scene! Giambi has come off the bench, and for the third time this year, a pinch-hit home run, and Giambi for the second time, a walk-off game-winning home run against the Chicago White Sox.
0: You can talk all you want to about Michael Bourne and Nick Swisher, the two main free agent signees. You can also talk about Scott Casimir, who was picked up off the reclamation heap during the winter by the Indians front office. But perhaps their most unsung hero this year and most unsung free agent signee was Giambi. He's not only been the pinch hitter extraordinaire for Terry Francona and the Indians, but he's also been a leader inside that clubhouse. Meanwhile, the Texas Rangers went into a swoon a couple of weeks ago, but lately they've been winning some ball games. They've won three in a row against the hapless Houston Astros, and they've won six of their last ten. Ron Washington, the Rangers manager, was scared for his job just a week ago, but he says the Rangers right now can't worry about the Indians or Tampa Bay heading into this final weekend. So you
2: just uh, get the mentality of uh, taking care of the business that's in front of you. If we can continue to win ball games. I don't care what they do. And if they went out the street and we went out the string also, then that's just the way it is. But uh, we really can't concentrate on what Cleveland or Tampa is doing. we got to concentrate on what's in front of us. we play playing a major league ball club also.
0: Should Texas manage to tie Cleveland over this weekend, then there would be a one-game playoff, and that would be held in Cleveland on Monday afternoon. Now, in the National League, things are a lot more clear. First of all, the Cincinnati Reds, with the benefit of losing yesterday to the New York Mets one nothing, they're off today. So is Pittsburgh, and so is St. Louis in that crazy National League Central. Atlanta's got the East wrapped up. The Dodgers have the West wrapped up. The only thing that is missing right now is who's going to win the Central. St. Louis seems to have the inside track on it, because right now they are a game in front of Pittsburgh. Now Pittsburgh is a game in front of Cincinnati in the wild card situation. Now, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati play at Great American Ballpark this weekend and basically the only thing left to con- to contend with is who will be the home team for the wild card playoff berth. John Paul Morosi of Fox Sports says Pittsburgh has some unfinished business and it would be fair if they get an opportunity after a 21-year playoff drought to host that wild card playoff game. The one thing they haven't clinched yet, a home playoff game. And
1: I believe the Pirates need to do that before the end of this season if they want to make sure this season is truly as gratifying as they want it to be. Yes, the Pirates have far exceeded the expectations of just about every Pirates fan with just getting to the postseason and finishing with the team's first winning record in 21 years. But now that they've done it, the Pirates fans want to have that one moment at least one time when they can have their team at home in a home playoff game and give them that salute that they so desperately want to give them. How can the Pirates do it? Well, if they finish with the first wild card, which they can still do, especially if they beat the Reds in this weekend's showdown, they'll have that chance next Tuesday in Pittsburgh. But if not, they'll have to go on the road, win that wild card game, and make sure that they at least qualify for the National League Division Series I'm a little bit worried about if they'll be able to do that, but I do think with the way AJ Burnett has pitched lately, if Burnett can be their guy either this weekend to secure that first or on Tuesday in the wild card game, the Pirates have a very, very good chance of at least getting to that division series and having that home playoff game.
0: Tonight is a night off for both Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. Pittsburgh 91 and 68, the Reds are 90 and 69, one game behind Pittsburgh. As I said, it doesn't matter both Pittsburgh and Cincinnati are in the playoffs the way it sits right now. Cincinnati's really put on a push in this month of September, and it's mainly been because of a spark plug that they brought up from the minor leagues in Billy Hamilton. He's the guy that a couple of years ago stole about 150 bases. Well, Reds announcer Jeff Brantley thinks Billy Hamilton, with the spark that he's provided to Reds in September should be placed on the playoff roster in October.
3: I personally would have him on the playoff roster. He's a phenomenal talent. He's a game changer. And I think in the playoffs, especially with these one-game issues, uh, he can change things. You put him on first base, not only does he steal second, but he can steal third. And they're pitching out, they're throwing over, they're holding the ball, they're doing anything they can to try to keep him from stealing a bag. And he can hit the ball, too, and play some great center field. I think the big guy that, that I think of immediately is Dion Sanders. I played with Dion when we were here in Cincinnati. Uh, Dion was electrifying. Billy Hamilton is, is really the same way. Tremendous speed, great instincts for the game. I think right now Billy is a better outfielder. He's a little bit better hitter than Dion. I think he understands what he has to do. But what you get with Billy Hamilton is a switch hitter. Dion could not do that. Same speed, same moxie when they come into the ball game and I think that's what makes Billy Hamilton so confident when he hits the field.
0: If the standings stay the same through this weekend, you will have the Reds at Tampa Bay or at Pittsburgh, I'm sorry, for the National League Wild Card game next Tuesday. Then also on Tuesday night you'll have the Indians in Tampa Bay playing that ball game for the American League wildcard game, and then they'll move into the playoffs. That's what's happening. Should be quite an exciting weekend coming up this weekend in Major League Baseball. But instant replay during games with C.B. Buckner and Angel Hernandez just can't come soon enough. C.B. Buckner's been umpiring Major League Baseball games since 1996, but over that time frame, he, along with Hernandez... They have to be considered the two worst umpires in the big leagues. The call Buckner made during a critical point in Wednesday night's Philadelphia Phillies-Miami Marlins game truly defies logic. With the score tied at 2-2, with two outs and runners in the corners, Marlins left fielder Christian Yelich hit a slow grounder down the first baseline. It appears as he had an infield single and an RBI along with it, but... When Phillies reliever Cesar Jimenez took the toss from first baseman Kevin Franson and applied to tag to Yelich, Buckner called Yelich out. Now, here's the problem. Yelich was safe. Jimenez had the ball in his glove, and he touched him with his bare hand. The ball never left his glove. And it's debatable whether Jimenez even tagged Yelich with his bare hand. The Marlins did overcome that horrible call and 1-3-2, to two, but Buckner's incompetence is constantly on display. And Major League Baseball really has to do something about him and Angel Hernandez because I'm not even sure that instant replay would take care of the errors that these two guys commit on a consistent basis. That's a look at Major League Baseball. Let's move into the world of college football. And over the weekend, this past weekend... The Ohio State Buckeyes crushed Florida A&M while Miami was beating Savannah State 77-7 to and Bethune-Cookman lost to Florida State 54-6. to Now these large scores against smaller competition gives ESPN and ABC college football analyst Kirk Herbstreet a chance to prove just how much he doesn't know about college football again. Wednesday morning, On the ESPN morning radio show, Mike and Mike, Herb Street commented on how athletic directors need to schedule better in the future and get away from playing FBS schools that have no chance against them. Just listen to what he had to say.
5: I think it's pathetic. I I think whoever is scheduling these games needs needs, needs to look at themselves in the mirror for a long time and think about why are we doing this. Is it just for a check? Think about the players that played for Bethune-Cookman or Florida A&M and how that affected them and how they went out to practice the following Sunday or Monday after losing the way they did. It doesn't help anybody. It's not good for the game. The fans don't show up to these kind of games. And in the direction that we're moving with the selection committee, teams, in my view, should be penalized for playing games like this. So if you get to the end of the year, I think it should affect your 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 position if you're trying to be in the top four and you play a game like this, I, I think that should, that should err on the side of keeping you out of getting an opportunity to be in the top four. There, there's no excuse and no reason to play those kind of games. I,
6: I, I agree with you that teams are going to stop doing it because they're going to, it's going to affect them getting in the top four, but I completely disagree with you about the players. Herbie, those players love playing in those games. Those players get their one chance – to get play a big time football. Appalachian State, those players, I remember that one on the even before the well, game. Well, no, no,
5: there's a difference between Appalachian State and North Dakota State who actually have a chance in the game or a Youngstown, a good Youngstown State team versus. The teams that we're watching.
6: I I, I disagree. I, I think those even though those guys know they're going in and probably going to get beat, they look for that one chance that they get to step up with the big boys and play in that game. Now, does that justify everything? I'm not saying it justifies everything, but what I'm saying is I, I do disagree with you on that. I think those players look forward to that one game that they can play in that big-time stadium and just see how they stack up. Yeah, well,
5: we can agree to disagree. I, I just think it affects the, the morale of those teams and they know by the time you know after the first series that the game's over, and and uh I think the players at schools like Miami and Louisville and Ohio State, you know even though they put up some some ridiculous stats, Kenny Guyton broke a school record with six touch six touchdown passes. You know I don't think they're they're jumping up and down out of excitement for what they've accomplished. I you know the the stadium doesn't have the same buzz. It's it, it's just it's definitely not good for the game, and uh, hopefully. The athletic directors and head coaches realize that this is something that that will affect them and hurt them down the road when there is a committee and there's no more BCS or computers or coaches poll or AP poll or Harris poll. Uh, These are things that ultimately could affect what they're trying to accomplish.
0: First of all, there's always going to be a poll. Matter of fact, we're going to go over the AP poll here in just a second. Secondly, do you really believe that Kenny Guyton will not in the years to come... Cherish the record that he holds at Ohio State for six touchdown passes, not only in a single half, but in a single game, no matter who it was against. Just because Kirk Herbstreet couldn't put six touchdown passes together in three football games doesn't mean that Kenny Guyton shouldn't be proud of the accomplishment that he did against Florida A&M. Now, thirdly, financial reasons. Herbstreet wants to bring up financial reasons. The entire college football landscape is big because of financial reasons. Let's take a look at that. Let's take Mr. Herbstreet at face value. I present to you Vanderbilt University. We heard all throughout the game between Ohio State and Florida A&M that Vanderbilt was scheduled to be The Buckeyes opponent, they were scheduled to play Ohio State on August 31st. That would have been the season opener this year. But they backed out of a deal to come to Columbus in October of last season. The Commodores, you see, needed that date because the expanded Southeastern Conference reconfigured its schedule to have at least one league game every week of the season. So see, conference expansion is hurting scheduling, especially outside of conference. Vanderbilt needed to open against Mississippi on the date that they had the game scheduled by Ohio State. Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith said it upset him more about the cancellation because it came in a letter instead of a phone call. Smith said, We received the letter. We didn't even get a phone call from Vanderbilt. We'd heard the rumors, but no one ever confirmed from Vanderbilt that it would happen. So, once that they did get confirmation... Smith went looking for another opponent. But, how do you fill an open spot in your schedule that late in the game, in October of the year before? You go to the FBS, looking for a big payday, and you got Florida A&M. Now, the reason that Smith brought Florida A&M to Columbus was because of their band. Their band, which had been under suspension for the last two years, is renowned as one of the greatest bands in the history of college football, and Smith, thinking logically, wanted to put the Florida A&M band on the same field with the best damn band in the land, the Ohio State Buckeye Marching Band. The only one problem with that, Florida a m didn't bring their band. So that totally took away the incentive for Ohio State to bring Florida a m to Columbus in the first place. But Florida a m did get a huge payday for coming to Columbus. They got $900,000 to come play the Buckeyes. Meanwhile, Miami only paid Savannah State $150,000 to come to Miami and play the Hurricanes. So financially, yes, Florida A&M made out like a bandit to come to Ohio State and get thumped 76 to nothing. Nonetheless, that school is going to benefit from the opportunity of coming to Columbus And playing Ohio State. And another thing that Herb Street had to say. Fans don't show up. Listen to these totals. At Tallahassee, for the Florida State Bethune-Cookman game, 74,841 people jammed inside that stadium. At Miami, only 42,571. But nobody goes to Miami games anymore. And at Columbus, 103,595. So, over... 230,000 people went through the turnstiles to see Florida State, Miami and Ohio State crush Florida AM, Savannah State and Bethune-Cookman. Mr. Herb Street, I'm sorry, you came from Columbus, couldn't handle the pressure when you went to that SEC sponsored TV station and radio station of ESPN and you had to move to Tennessee, which by the way, part of the SEC. Ever since then, Kirk Herbstreet has been trying to blast Ohio State, much like most of what ESPN does. And in this case, again, Herbstreet shows he's wrong. The NCAA Executive Committee announced yesterday they will gradually restore football scholarships to Penn State's football program due to the school's continued progress towards ensuring athletics integrity. Beginning in the 2014-15 season, five additional scholarships will be restored to the football team. That number, according to the NCAA, will continue to increase. The school's four-year postseason ban will still stand, along with the $60 million fine and other sanctions issued by the NCAA more than a year ago. The restoration of scholarships has been laid out by the NCAA to allow the football team to increase to 75 in 2014-15, 80 in 2015-16, and begin competing with 85 scholarship student-athletes again in the 2016-17 season. Well, ESPN's Trevor Maddich talks about the reduction and its ramifications. Too little, too late. I think it smacks of a bank robber feeling guilty about
6: the original theft and giving some of the money back. The thing is, this was not an athletic integrity issue, in my opinion. It was a criminal issue issue. And the principles, the four principles named in the free report as having been involved in a, in a material way were some combination of fired, imprisoned, indicted, or dead. At the time, the NCAA then added further sanctions to the program because, in my opinion, the NCAA has an irresistible urge to punish the non-guilty. Well, this goes a little bit towards lessening that punishment, but I think that punishment should not have been levied by the NCAA. Let the courts handle it. Some schools out there like Miami and USC are saying consistency, too, with ruling. Right, and it just adds another layer of frustration over how the NCAA rolls.
0: Well, institutional control. I'm wondering if this has anything to do with the lawsuit that the state of Pennsylvania filed against the NCAA and any subsequent suits that may be filed against the governing body. But I mentioned the, the two words, institutional control. That was the charge the NCAA levied Penn State for. Now, if they say the reason for the reduction being lifted is because the crew that caused the lack of institutional control is gone, then what about the penalties put in place against USC? They're gone. Ohio State? Jim Trussell's gone. Michigan? Rich Rodriguez is gone. The NCAA is a house run amok. It's a shipwreck. It's a type of Emmert's Island. Forget Gilligan's Island. It's Emmert's Island. They only want the money. And this island, just like Gilligan's Island, Emmert's Island is all green with plenty of zeros behind it. Well, let's take a look at the Associated Press college football top ten for this week. And Alabama is still the number one team. They're three and zero on the year. They garnered fifty six first place votes this week. Oregon, the number two team in the country, they're uh, second. They garnered the other four first place votes according to the AP. Clemson still number three. Ohio State four. Stanford five. LSU at four and zero is number six. Then comes Louisville, Florida State, Georgia. And Texas A&M rounds out the top ten, which kind of amazes me that Texas A&M is still in the top ten when you've got UCLA, Oklahoma, Miami of Florida, Washington, Northwestern, Michigan. Maybe not so much Michigan because of their close calls over the last couple of weeks. But then you've got Baylor, who's also unbeaten, and Old Miss, who's unbeaten. Meanwhile, Texas A&M, 3-1, and one, they're still inside the top 10 of college football this week. Let's take a look at the top 25 college football schedule for this week and it is going to be a good one. First of all, let's start out with the Ohio State Buckeyes where they will be in the horseshoe for the ABC Saturday night game Kirk Herbstreet will be back in Columbus with his play-by-play partner Brett Musburger to face number 24 Wisconsin. That's at 8 o'clock on ABC. The CBS crew of Randy Cross, Ron Zook, Brian Jones, and Aaron Taylor also look into the Ohio State- Wisconsin game and think the rushing game will be the key to this night game in. Columbus, Ohio.
7: Wisconsin running backs, total, all right, nine 100-yard rushing games already. Obviously, there's uh, some doing it. There's two guys doing it in certain games. Buckeyes haven't allowed that to happen for anyone yet.
8: So, And it's interesting. I mean, the big question coming into this season was going to be uh, Ohio State's defense, particularly a defensive line where they're replacing all four new starters. They look really good on paper. They're ninth in the country against rush defense. But at the end of the day, they haven't been tested yet. With that said, I still like Ohio State because of where it's has played, I think they're the more complete team.
9: Yeah, I tell you what,
7: that offense is really running on a good cylinders. All cylinders, I should say right now. Braxton Miller may play, but you go back to that defense, 2.6 yards per carry. That's what they're allowing. Uh, 13th in the nation in, in total defense. Third down, uh, conversion for their opponents, only 22%. I like Ohio State at home.
2: Yeah, you know, Wisconsin, everyone talks about
1: their their rushing game. They're averaging almost 200 yards a game passing the ball, is Wisconsin. So they're averaging over 500 and 50 yards a game, but I got to go with Ohio State in the big house. That team, the experience, whichever quarterback. Urban Meyer to go.
4: Uh, he's got to feel good about that. Yeah. <laughs> he's got two guys that can that can do it and get it done. And obviously, like you said, one guy threw throws six uh, touchdown passes and a half at Sunday people. But I tell you one thing, West Wisconsin's got a good defense too. Right? Yeah, Ohio do. State's got a pretty good defense. West Wisconsin's 6th in the nation now in defense, and they have at least played Arizona State, a pretty good football team. But both of these teams are going to play the biggest opponent. It's a big, big game. It's obviously going to kind of set up the, the direction of the Big Ten and where it goes. I'm going to take Ohio State just because they're playing at home, but I think it's going to be a about... battle.
0: And who will be the starting quarterback? Urban Meyer's been rather mum, although he did come out earlier today and say, yeah, it probably will be Braxton Miller. But he could go with Kenny Guyton. Could he be just putting on a show making Wisconsin prepare for both quarterbacks, thinking maybe Miller's going to come back and play when it's really going to be Guyton. Could be a very interesting game on Saturday night. They always play close ones. Ohio State and Wisconsin, 8 o'clock at the Horseshoe in Columbus. Number one, Alabama is going to be at home against number 21, Mississippi. And remember in the movie, The Blind Side, when Nick Saban then the coach at LSU visited the Tui household to recruit Mike Orr away from Mississippi? Well, that same Saban now with Alabama will host that same Ole Miss team on Saturday. Nick Saban looks forward to the contest and thinks Mississippi is a very good football team and a formidable opponent for the Crimson Tide.
2: They've got a lot of starters coming back. I think nineteen guys, you know, from offense and defense, and two specialists that had been starters before that actually got redshirted last year are now starters. Who, you know, both are. Sort of tops in the league, and what they do, um, they've won five games in a row now—the last two games of the last year, and first three games of this year—and uh, they're a very, very good football team. You know, Bo Wallace does a really good job of operating their hurry-up, speed-effective. They've got really good skill players—two, um, re- two or three receivers that are explosive guys. A really good tight end as a receiver and a blocker. Uh, Jeff Scott is an outstanding running running back, as well as a returner, and you know they got about everybody back on defense and some new additions that are, you know, certainly help helping their defense as well. So uh, this is a this is a very good SEC team, and we're certainly going to have to play our best football to have any kind of success against them.
0: Elsewhere on Saturday, California will be at number two Oregon in a big Pac-12 contest. Wake Forest travels to number three Clemson. Another big game could be the juiciest game of the week. Number 6 LSU will be at number 9 Georgia in a big SEC matchup on CBS Sports at 3.30. And the crew of Randy Cross, Ron Zook, Brian Jones, and Aaron Taylor from CBS Sports Look at this matchup and expect it to be just a classic.
8: Yeah, this is very juicy. And I see these two teams, two really similar teams. They both got explosive offenses. They both got running games. They both got big physical offensive lines. They both have young and talented defenses that have yet to really prove themselves. Both teams, I think, have struggled to play complete football. I think what this game is going to come down to is going to be which defense can step up and make a play when it's needed. Who can limit the big plays? I think the play-action-passing game is going to be both there's going to be huge for both of these teams. So watch the safeties in their eye discipline, Coach. You know all about that, getting sucked up on that play action. I think there's going to be a high-scoring affair that goes down the wire and look a lot like that Georgia-South Carolina game we saw early in the year.
4: I agree with exactly what you're saying. I mean, to talk about the two great quarterbacks, and they are. LSU offense, I haven't seen it look like this in years. They've done a great job. But you have two arguably the best backs in the country, against each other and I mean it's going to be like you said the defenses are going to have to be able to have their eyes on what's going on there don't get sucked up in there because the play action
1: Zach Bentenberg is a different quarterback 65 percent completions 10 10 touchdowns one interception and Mark Rick and the Georgia Bulldogs Zach's mom works for the athletics department works for Mark Rick and Mark Rick said you know what why don't you take this week off a year for a year ago, I bet you Mark Rick wouldn't have given her that week off but Matt Mettenberg is playing well enough now that they figured, why have the distractions? Right.
7: That's what has impressed me. They now have a legitimate passing game. Now you've got Jarvis Landy, Odell Beckham, and they're not Dinkin' and Duncan. These guys are averaging about 19, 15 to 19 yards per reception, and they're thro- dropping bombs on defenders. Yeah. Like you said, be careful on those play actions because they will go over the top. So I love the passing game for LSU right now.
0: Have you noticed that when Cam Cameron was the offensive coordinator with the Baltimore Ravens and the head coach at Miami, he was the biggest idiot in the world and had to be fired from Baltimore so that Joe Flacco could lead the Ravens to the Super Bowl championship a year ago? Well, ever since he's become the offensive coordinator at LSU, he's a genius. And Zach Mettenberg now is one of the hottest quarterbacks in the SEC. We're going to see what happens on Saturday with LSU At Georgia, that's at 3.30 on CBS. Here's what else is happening in the top 25 Saturday. Florida State is at Boston College. Number 10, Texas A&M, is at Arkansas. West Virginia will host Oklahoma State. They're number 11. Number 12, South Carolina, is at Central Florida. Number 14, Oklahoma, is at number 22, Notre Dame. That should be a great one on NBC at 3.30. Number 15, Miami, is at South Florida. Number 16, Washington, will entertain Arizona. Number 20, Florida, will be at Kentucky. And then number 25, Fresno State, will be at Hawaii. That will be at midnight for all of those college football fans that want to stay up late on Saturday. Let's look at the college football schedule for Saturday. And one other word about college football, the legal team for Craig James. Remember him? He's the often criticized former ESPN analyst who was hired then fired by Fox Sports Southwest. Well, his attorneys have sent a letter to the network demanding that he be given his job back. James was fired by Fox Sports Southwest two days and one appearance after being hired because of his anti-gay comments during his run for the Texas Senate. Now James's legal team says the firing is discrimination because it violates his religious beliefs. From the Washington Times, Ed Sherman, the reporter, says the actions have also led to the breach of Craig James's contract and the impugnment of his career. The letter states from Bre- James's attorneys We demand the immediate reinstatement of Mr. James to the on air college football analyst position. And if you refuse to reinstate James, millions of Americans will be left with the impression that you do not respect re- religious liberty and the Liberty Institute will be forced to pursue subsequent legal options. I don't care what Craig James believes. I just think he's a terrible college football analyst, and I don't care to see him on TV anymore. Hey, we're going to look at the NFL schedule for this week. Hear from Rob Chudzinski, Brian Billick, and also Mike D'Antoni about Genie Bus. We're going to do all that right after this time. In
7: Cincinnati last night, Dylan Michael made his highly anticipated debut in front of a full house and did not disappoint. Michael went three of five with a single and two doubles while driving in three as Cincinnati defeated New York six to three. Michael, Cincinnati's number one pick in this year's amateur draft, virtually forced the team to promote him after pounding minor league pitching since his signing. Last at Bat, a novel by Mark Donahue. Available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books &
0: Company. You can order Mark Donahue's book, Last at Bat, simply by going to the homepage here at com, click on the Last at Bat tab, and order your copy today. Mark will even autograph it for you. Welcome back to the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. I am Dave Mitchell. We're going to introduce a new segment that we will be doing each and every week. It's called the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly segment. Let's move on to the good for this week. And it comes from the What Planet Do You Live On page. He wants justice to be served. That coming from former NFL offensive lineman Brian Holloway, whose second home in upstate New York was trashed by partying teens earlier this month, and now he's pursuing charges. Holloway said that after waiting more than three weeks for trespassing teens to take responsibility, he signed papers authorizing the sheriff to bring charges in the Labor Day weekend party that drew up to 400 youths. Everyone that broke the law on pressing charges against Holloway told the Associated Press, the parents had a chance and the students had a chance to come forward, and only four did. Well, what did he mean? Here's what he meant. He went to a website called www.helpmesave300.com. He reposted the kids' photos, identified the people involved, and called for ways to reach out to the young people and show them that there are better ways to spend their time than drinking drugs and vandalism. That's why I'm calling this the good segment. Because he's a better person than I would have been in that position. It takes class and compassion to see beyond the urine-stained carpets, the broken windows, the damaged walls, and blatant disrespect to reach out to those kids. He even offered to welcome those derelicts back into his house for a picnic where they would work together to make repairs and clean up the mess that they left behind. I don't know if any of us out there could have reacted the same way. And four kids showed up. Instead of dragging your kids back to apologize and clean up the mess, these parents lashed out at Brian Holloway, threatened to firebomb his house, and now they're planning on suing him. These are the parents. For what? For identifying your kids online? Well, guess what? Your kid did that to himself the minute that he tweeted that iPhone photo standing on the dining room table holding a red Solo cup filled with beer. Look, I don't blame the parents for what these kids did because, as we all know, kids will be kids. I really don't even blame the kids. However, when Mr. Holiday Holloway gives them the opportunity to make up for what it was that they did and they didn't do it, well, that's the problem. Parents are responsible for an entire generation that expects the world to be handed to them because the parents have given it to them all along. Instead of teaching your kids to work hard and earn things, you give a trophy to every kid in youth sports and then hand them an iPhone in middle school. You're the parents screaming through the fence at the Little League umpire instead of teaching good sportsmanship. You're the ones criticizing the teacher instead of realizing that they just want to help your child learn. Can these parents just step back and look at what they're doing to the kids? This is the generation that will grow up to lead our country and make decisions regarding our lives. That's the good segment. Here's the bad segment, and this is something that kind of coincides with the previous story. A youth football league's new mercy rule is drawing outrage from parents in Northern California, but whereas most beefs over the implementation of mercy rules argue that they're not tough enough. These parents contend that the league is stripping their children of opportunities in the name of a level planning field. And I tend to agree. According to Sacramento NBC affiliate KCRA, the Northern California Federation Youth Football League instituted new rules this year that result in a $200 fine and a one-week suspension For the coach of a team wins a game by more than 35 points. Listen to this report from KCRA reporter Richard Sharp.
7: You won't find them here uh, at the high school level, but at the younger leagues, a mercy rule prevents one team from beating another team too badly. Well, in one league it was happening so much they had to stiffen the penalties for those violations. Home video of the Sutter Husky junior team. (laughs) Number 37 slows down intentionally, so he doesn't score and risk breaking the mercy rule. He's thrown to the ground, a penalty. Parents say an aggressive rule is putting their kids at risk.
0: The chances for injury are so much higher.
7: But the NorCal Federation Youth League says the players should never have been in that position in the first place. And the mercy rule is meant to protect losing teams from being beaten so badly it ruins their desire to play at all. We lose a lot
0: of football players because of that.
7: The league says there's so much of a disparity between talent on these teams that the mercy rules create a level playing field. For example, if one team's up by more than 28 points at the half, first string's got to sit out. The second and third string get more play time. And the biggest change this year, if by the end of the game one team is ahead, of the other by more than 35 points. That coach gets suspended a week and the team gets fined $200. James McHugh is a kicker for Sutter Huskies and says the mercy rule is hurting the team. How is it affecting you personally? Can't kick field goals or practice my field goals. And parents say the rule is hurting their players' development.
4: Now they're afraid their coaches are going to get suspended and they're not going to have a coach to come out here and teach them how to play football.
7: But the league says so many teams were breaking the rules last year, they had to get tough on teams winning by huge margins. Now last year, the teams said they had um, 30 violations the league said they had 30 violations last year so far this year with the new uh, rule in place they have had no violations even though the season is young
0: well this league includes kids ranging from 7 to 13 years old and the parents feel that this rule cheats their children out of a chance to develop and also poses a safety risk now i agree leading by 28 points you put in the second and third string. That just makes sense. Get playing time for others. You could also use a continuous clock, which was used in the miami savannah State game in college football last Saturday. But disparity of talent, according to the league, how do they pick their teams? If this is really a problem, change the way the teams are drawn up. Certainly some coaches I know, dealing with Little League over the years that I have, They think they're the reincarnated version of Vince Lombardi or Bill Walsh. They'll run up the scores on everyone just to prove how smart they are. That happens everywhere, not just in California, but in Ohio, New York, Texas, everywhere. But a fine for winning a game by 35 points or more? Let me ask you this. Let's say, for example, you're up 33 to nothing. You are punted down into the back end of your end zone, And the team that is down 33 to nothing has the ball on their own one yard line. They fumble the snap from center and it falls into the end zone. What is the defense supposed to do? Just let the ball bounce around so that the offense picks it up? Don't even tackle them in the end zone for a safety that could make it 35 to nothing? No, that is not teaching a kid how to play football. And if there's a fine of $200 involved in that, who pays that? The coach? Well, if I'm the coach, sue me. Because you're eliminating potential coaches, good coaches, coaches that really want to coach kids. This league is killing the drive to win, the desire to be the best, to do your best. I remember one time in a town that I was coaching Little League in, instead of telling coaches to quit making numerous trips to the mound to talk to the kids after every batter in between every inning that could cut the game times down under two hours, they decided to go out and spend $50,000 building two new little league fields that they didn't even need. The moral is when parents get involved, kids' games get ruined. Play the game. Teach the game the way it's supposed to be played. Robert Roshan The NCFYFL's deputy commissioner told KCRA if they are constantly getting beat, who wants to play anymore? It's not hurting the kids. It's teaching them compassion for the other team. Roshan told KCRA it's teaching them sportsmanship. Well, go to Webster's. Webster's Dictionary defines sportsmanship as conduct, as fairness respect for one's opponent, and graciousness in winning or losing, becoming to one participating in a sport. Where in that definition does it say take it easy on an opponent? Where does it say compassion? Sportsmanship anymore can be anyone's definition, and they can throw that word out and think that it's the definition of sportsmanship. If you saw the video of some of these kids just fall over or run out of bounds or slow up, Or let the defender catch them when they're up so high? It's a mockery of the game. And how is that teaching them how to play? And here's the ugly for this week. A high school football coach in Roosevelt City, Utah, suspended the entire football team because of their lack of character after being told by the school's guidance counselor that some players were bullying a student on Ask.FM Head coach Matt Labrum was moved to action, and since the website allows users to ask questions anonymously, the coach had no way of knowing what players were responsible and chose to address the entire team about not only the bullying, but a general lack of respect displayed by the team off the field. According to Labrum, it had gotten to a new level and said that the coaches had been hearing about players skipping classes and talking back to teachers, so they decided to take stand. So, Libram and his fellow coaches gathered the players in the locker room after Friday's game and told them to turn in their jerseys and equipment. He told the team, we've got to make a change. We were pretty open with the players about what we heard, and we didn't want that represented in our program. Whoever it was doing the bullying, we want them to get help and get back on the right path. So the coaches told the team that they would not be allowed to play football again until they had earned the privilege and outlined a plan through which they could do so. Basically, this was a Coach Carter scenario. So, among other things, the coaches gave the team a set of rules to abide by so far. Attend all practices that they have planned and any others that may come up. Be on time and totally prepared. No Fs in class or discipline problems. Do an individual service project for your family. Give the coach a typed report of it and pictures and have your parents sign it. That's due on Wednesdays before their study hall. Memorize and pass this quote off to one of the coaches at some point during study hall. Good character is more to be praised than outstanding talent. Most talents are, to some extent, a gift. Good character. By contrast, is not given to us. We have to build it piece by piece, by thought, by choice, courage and determination. And the coach told the team, if you meet this criteria by Wednesday night, you have earned the privilege to play in the games on Thursday and Friday, and if you fail, then you will miss this week's game. No word on whether or not this team is going to be playing Friday night in Utah. That's the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to continue to do this every week. I think it's very important that we mention what's going on with the good in sports, the bad in sports, and the ugly in sports. And this is just three situations that need to be addressed. Let's move on to the NFL and tell you what is happening there. Well, you know, when you hear that theme, it means that the NFL is ready for another week. And it's week number four, but... Only three teams since 1990 have gone 0-3 to the playoffs. That's three teams out of 115, just 2.6%. So the odds against these newest 0-3 teams are long. But most of the previous 0-3 teams did not have Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, or RG3. And most of them were not good enough to have finished 500 or better in the previous season. Well... Here's what's going on. The Minnesota Vikings, New York Giants, Pittsburgh Steelers, Tampa Bay, Washington, and Jacksonville are all 0-3. Let's take a look at the chances of them making the playoffs and by percentage by sportsclubstats.com. First of all, the Minnesota Vikings, they really have no quarterback. Even Christian Ponder would probably admit that. The teams are bunching up against Adrian Peterson in the run. They're a 7.2% chance of making the playoffs. The New York Giants have turned it around before, but this team doesn't have the defense or the explosive firepower to do it this time. They're a 4% chance, according to Sports Club. The Pittsburgh Steelers have no offensive or defensive lines, but they do have Ben Roethlisberger, so they're never out of a game. They're given a 3.2% chance, and that is just ahead of Jacksonville. Tampa Bay and Washington each have a better shot at making the playoffs, according to SportsClub.com, than the Pittsburgh Steelers, too. But the 0-3 team with the best chance to make the playoffs? I think it's the Washington Redskins if rg 3 can return to form and the defense starts stopping people. Plus, they have the opportunity all year long to knock out the Giants, or the Giants can knock them out. So, what team has the best chance of not making the playoffs of all the 3-0 teams that are in the NFL right now? There are seven undefeated teams. Who are they? The Chicago Bears, the Denver Broncos, the Kansas City Chiefs, Miami Dolphins, New England Patriots, New Orleans Saints, and the Seattle Seahawks. So, let's look at those seven teams and which team is most likely not to make the playoffs. Frankly, I think it's the Miami Dolphins. Ryan Tannenbaum is playing well, but I think he's playing over his head at quarterback. And linebacker Deion Jordan is hurt. The secondary is suspect. Yes, the Dolphins right now are 3-0. and But can they continue on and get it to the Super Bowl? I don't think so. But here's an interesting stat. 75% of the teams that go 3-0 and to start the season end up making the playoffs. I just don't think that's going to happen with the Miami Dolphins. Well, as I said, tonight... The San Francisco 49ers are going to be in St. Louis taking on the St. Louis Rams and Jeff Fisher. The 49ers are having a tough time right now as they are 1-2 and two and they desperately need a win, but so do Jeff Fisher's St. Louis Rams. Brian Billick previews tonight's game from Fox Sports.
6: Interesting Thursday night matchup with two teams that desperately need a win, the St. Louis Rams and the San Francisco 49ers. Now, the 49ers getting beat down in two weeks in a row, unexpectedly by Indianapolis. They have to come out and show that they are the physical dominant team we thought they were when they started the season. Now, St. Louis, who is a very good football team, the problem they have right now, they've become one-dimensional. They cannot run the ball, and that's putting a lot of pressure on Sam Bradford. So the challenge for St. Louis is to be multidimensional, because if they are one-dimensional, that's just what the Niners need for them to be to tee them up and to now reassert themselves physically the way they haven't the last two weeks. And offensively, uh, Colin Kaepernick's got to have a big rebound game against a pretty good pass rush of the St. Louis Rams. So both can get real healthy real quick, but they've got to do what they haven't done the last couple of weeks.
0: And that is tonight's game on the NFL Network, kicking off around 8.30 tonight. Now on Sunday's games, here's the 1 o'clock games. It will be the Battle of Ohio. The Cincinnati Bengals come to Cleveland to take on the Cleveland Browns. Bobby Hoyer will be starting at quarterback for the Cleveland Browns in that game over Brandon Whedon. Rob Chudzinski announced yesterday that Brandon Whedon is out for this game against the Bengals. And he talks about Cincinnati and explains that they are a great football team. Well coached. I have a lot of respect for Coach Lewis. Uh, They've won a couple in a row. Obviously, they had
10: the huge win this past Sunday. From a team standpoint, look at their offense. Uh, Starts with their quarterback, Andy Dalton. I think he's done a great job at uh, managing uh, the game as well as making plays. Uh, They have a solid offensive line. Uh, Two very good runners that complement each other and they're loaded at the skill positions. Uh, Everybody knows about A.J. Green and what kind of player he is, outstanding player. They have a good wide receiver group, and they play a lot with two tight ends, uh, two very good tight ends in in Gresham and and Eifert. And uh, So it will be a a real challenge for our defense this week. Defensively, they have an excellent scheme. Uh, Their personnel is outstanding as well. Again, a front four that's uh, uh, excellent outside in Johnson and Dunlap and then inside with uh, Atkins and, and Pico. Uh, they have an active group group of linebackers. They've had some injuries in their secondary, uh, but they're deep there. Uh, this is a tremendous challenge for us. I uh, expect our guys uh, to be ready and, and, and respond to the challenge because we'll need to be at our best as a team uh, for this game.
0: I think the Bengals are the best team in the North Division of the AFC. The Browns may just be a little bit better than the Pittsburgh Steelers, but their offense seemed to move the ball better with Bobby Hoyer at quarterback rather than Brandon Whedon. I'm taking the Bengals in this game to beat the Browns. Let's look at the rest of the 1 o'clock games on Sunday. The Baltimore Ravens are in Buffalo to take on the Bills. I've got the Ravens in that game. The Saint, the uh, Cardinals, the Phoenix Cardinals, I should say, will be in Tampa Bay taking on the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers, who are they going to start at quarterback? Uh, who knows? Right now it appears to be Mike Glidden. And let's take a look there. I think the Cardinals will win that football game. Pittsburgh is playing Minnesota in London, England. It doesn't matter if Prince Harry or the Queen are watching this game. It's still going to be boring. Take the Steelers to win that game. The Giants are in Kansas City taking on the Chiefs. I've got the Chiefs winning this game, and the Giants going 0-4. Then comes the Colts in Jacksonville playing the Jaguars. The Jaguars are really sorry Take the Colts in that game. This is a big game. Seattle will be in Houston to take on the Texans. I'm going to take the Texans to eke out a win in this one. Also, the final 1 o'clock game, the Chicago Bears are in Detroit playing the Lions, a big NFC North division game. I'm going to take the Lions to win this game and dish out the first loss of the year to the Chicago Bears and their new head coach, Mark Trestman. Here's a look at the 4 o'clock games. There's four of them. The New York Jets will be in Tennessee playing the Titans. I've got the Titans winning that game. Washington goes out west to play the Raiders. The Raiders are going to be without Terrell Pryor, RG3, on a bad wheel. I'll take the Redskins. The Eagles are in Denver to play the Broncos. Take the Broncos to stay unbeaten behind Peyton Manning. And the Dallas Cowboys will go to San Diego to play the Chargers. I've got the Cowboys bouncing back in this one. The Sunday night game, the New England Patriots will be in Atlanta playing the Falcons. I think the Falcons are going to beat the Patriots. On Sunday night. And the Monday night game, the Miami Dolphins are in New Orleans to take on the Saints. The Saints are unbeaten, so are the Dolphins. I have got the Saints to begin the downfall of the Miami Dolphins. And that's a look at week number four of the NFL season. Let's move over to the NBA for a couple of stories here tonight before we sign out. Indiana Pacers all-star forward Paul George will be staying in the Hoosier State for the next few years. He's benefiting from a new five-year contract extension with the club in which terms were not released. But George admitted at a press conference on Tuesday he wanted to stay with the Pacers. I
9: was supposed to have a poker face throughout this whole situation, but you know my heart was really here. And I couldn't really see myself going anywhere else. Um, you know, Just the time that they showed me, the opportunity that they gave me, you know, they really gave me a, a special opportunity and a special chance. And, you know, I was I was fortunate to make the most out of it. Um, you know, and a lot of credit goes to Coach Bogle as well. You know, you helped me throughout this whole, you know, this whole journey. And, uh, you know, now that I'm in this position, man, it's, it's, it's really, you know, you know, doing everything that I can and, you know, everything in my will to, um, you know, get us to that next step and, you know, be that guy in this community and, You know, really take ownership and, and, you know, a leadership role. Um, You know, and and again, I can't be much more happier, you know, to be here in Indiana and call this my home.
0: The 6'8", 225-pound, small forward averaged 17 points, eight rebounds and four assists, plus two steals per game last year in taking the Pacers to within one game of beating the Miami Heat and earning a spot in the NBA championship series. Now, George... Earned his first all game appearance, or All-Star Game appearance last year and the NBA's Most Improved Player Award. Supposedly, this five-year contract will pay him approximately 80 to $90 million, according to the NBA's collective bargaining agreement. Well, and then there's news out of Lakerland that Jeannie Buss is not very happy and that she did not take the news well that the Lakers were hiring Mike D'Antoni last year to replace Mike Brown as the team's head coach. In her book, she states, that's an updated memoir of Laker Girl written with former Times sports writer Steve Springer, two days after Phil Jackson got that phone call, I was at the gym when I started crying so hysterically that they sent me home. Before D'Antoni was hired, executives Jim Buss and Mitch Kupchak met with Jackson to discuss the possibility of bringing back the Hall of Fame coach. Jackson Invited Jim to his house, a place my brother had never visited before, wrote Jeannie, even though she is engaged to Phil. She vacated the property, taking her dog for a ride so that her brother, Cupchak, and Jackson could have their time together. She said an offer wasn't made, but Jackson believed it was a great meeting, she continued. The conversation took place on a Saturday, but by Sunday night, Jackson was woken up by a phone call from Cupchak bringing the news that the team had gone in another. Direction. When he hung up, I asked him what it was all about, and he said, Mitch called to tell me they've hired Dantoni. He said that they feel they've given the personnel that they have that Dantoni is a better fit. He said they know they are going to take a bit of a PR hit, but he thinks it will blow over in a month, wrote Bus in this book. Mike Dantoni, the coach preparing for camp that will begin in a few weeks, said, He isn't letting this story bother him. He
11: understood the dynamics last year, but it doesn't affect me. You know, it's uh, uh, the things they're working through, and they will. It's a great organization, and from where I am and the support I've had from the front office has been only good. I mean, that doesn't affect me, and it doesn't affect the team, and that's just you guys that makes great fodder, and that's that's your job, and I'm okay with that, but... You know, like I said, if I was hiring myself, then maybe I'd say, oh, well, then I, I'm just, I'm a player. And, like, uh, it doesn't affect Steve Nash, it doesn't affect uh, Power Consult. We're here to do our job, and we can, and, and they give us support to do our job. That's all I ask for, and they've been nothing but great. She's on the business side, and I'm on the basketball side, so there's really no, nothing that, uh, you understand the dynamics and what went through, and it was a tough period for everybody, and it's not an easy period for to get through. and. Uh, You got Phil there and all that and all the dynamics. Yeah, it's tough.
0: Well, even with Kobe Bryant missing the first half of the season with that Achilles heel injury, Steve Nash and Paul Gasol, another year older, Mike D'Antoni's on the hot seat. He had better win immediately in Lakerland. That's going to do it tonight for the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Thanks for joining us this evening. Don't forget to join us on Monday night as Mark Donahue and I Join you with the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. That's at 9 o'clock here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. We'll be talking about if the Reds and the Indians will be in the playoffs and who they will be taking on and when. That's a Monday night at 9 o'clock. That's going to do it for tonight on the Ultimate Sports Talk show. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, but most of all to you for listening. I'm Dave Mitchell. Be sure to join us again next Thursday night at 7 o'clock with the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. We'll be talking more about college football and the baseball playoffs will begin. Until then, I'm Dave Mitchell. Thanks for joining us tonight. Have a good weekend, everybody. Good night.